You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. We're going to start a new series today, Summer Road Trip, right? Summer Road Trip. When is the last great road trip you went on? And what made last week? Wow, all right. Who can afford to go on a road trip right now? I'm impressed, right? Uh, for me, I think the, the most memorable road trip was probably the move out here. Uh, Cassie and I moved out here from St. Paul, Minnesota, the Twin Cities. I was in seminary there, and we packed up to the brim our 2005 Ford Focus. You know, we prayed over it. We're like, Lord, <laughs> this is your will. Uh, we, we packed it up. We, we had a moving truck take a lot of our stuff, and then we put everything there. We, we, we did this mountain of pillows for the dogs in the back. The, the dogs were piled up on like three, three pillows high in the back seat, loving life. And we drove from St. Paul to Minnesota to here, about three days journey for us, and saw so much of the country I never even thought of. Like when you grow up in like Ohio and stuff, you don't even really, I hate to break it to you, you don't even know Oregon exists. You don't even, you don't even think about the West, really. The West is like Indiana. You're like, whoa. <laughs> and so we're driving out here and we're going through the Badlands, you know, which is just so cool. And then we stopped at Rushmore and we saw that and um, the big sky country of Montana, which, I mean, there's a reason they call it that. And you can go like 90 and no one cares. It's pretty awesome. It's so cool. Except that I was in the Ford Focus. So it was like, mm, easy, you know. <laughs> Um, and then, and then we got, um, to even, okay. So like the Northern panhandle there of Idaho, like up at the top, I think that is some of the most underrated scenic byways in the nation. It is, it is beautiful driving up through there. And then we come down through Washington and the Columbia Gorge and through Portland all the way down here to what has now been our home for the last 12 years, uh, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, I'll never forget that drive. Uh, not only did I see so much of the country that I had never even really experienced before, the, the scenery outside the car was good, but the scenery to my right in the passenger seat. We, see, this was, pre, this was pre-kids. You know, you know. Okay. So, so we, we came out here, and it's, I will never forget that trip. I'll never forget trying to find a hotel near Rushmore that, that didn't know we had dogs. Uh, I, you know, I, there was lots of things on that trip that was like, oh, my gosh, what are, we, are we sleeping in our car tonight? Like, what are we doing? It was, just, it was just an incredible time. And the book of Acts, right, the book of Acts in the New Testament records an incredible journey of a guy named Paul or Saul. He, he's actually known as, as both. And now, now, he didn't take a sweet van like that. Paul did not have a van like that. He did most of his journey by, by sea or by foot. Um, and, and, and that was more dangerous, right? As excited as you and I get about the open road, there's kind of this American nostalgia, right? About the, let's hit the open road. In Paul's day, the open seas were not a place you wanted to hang out. Uh, they were places of great danger and uncertainty and, and fear. Uh, but Paul risked that. Paul and his companions risked that. Plus, on, on the nice, on, on the pro side, uh, harnessing wind power is a lot cheaper than filling your gas tank. So 
Like, we should all maybe go back to sailboats and sneakers or something, you know, to, to get around. Uh, it was risky. It was a risky trip. But it had to happen because the gospel, the good news of Jesus and who he is and what it meant for not just individuals, but for the whole created order, had to spread. In fact, in Acts chapter 1-8, a great verse for Pentecost Sunday. I didn't even know today was Pentecost Sunday, so thanks, God. Okay. Acts 1-8 it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my, what does it say? Witnesses, right? You're going to tell people about me. Your life is going to point people to me. You are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This was God's plan, right? This is the last thing Jesus says before he ascends to heaven. He tells his followers, this is, this is what your mission is. And it wasn't that the good news of Jesus would just stay in like one little strip of geographical area or that, or that it was only going to be confined to one ethnic group. Jesus says it's going to move out everywhere. It doesn't happen though right away. The mission stalls out. Um, I want to challenge you to read the entire book of Acts. But that's in verse uh, 8 of, of chapter 1. If you read the nev- next seven chapters... In the book of Acts, the entire thing takes place in Jerusalem. They're still in Jerusalem, just hanging out. It's not until a guy named Stephen, who is a follower of Jesus, is stoned to death and persecution breaks out. And now they're kind of worried and afraid. It's not until persecution that they are forced to leave the friendly confines of Jerusalem ahead, it says, into Judea and Samaria, where they scattered out. Okay, so now we got Judea, or we got Jerusalem, we got Judea, we got Samaria, Who's going to go to the ends of the earth? Who's going to go next? Well, God puts his finger on an unlikely missionary named Saul or Paul. So what we're going to do this summer is we're, as, as we're traveling about and, and we're vacationing and we're doing all the things, right? I mean, I'm already seeing it, you know, it's like the sun comes out and we're like, pastor, I'll see you in September, bro, you know? It's like, I don't fight it anymore. It's Oregon. I do it too. I'm like, we got to get it while we can. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's go to the beach. You know, let's do what we got to do. I don't fight it. While we do all those things, we're going to go on a little road trip with Paul. And I want to invite you to follow along wherever you're at. And, and my hope is that there's kind of three, um, three parts of this. It, it's going to be one part biography. Like, who was this Paul guy? And, and why should I care? For some of us, we, it's like we might learn things about Paul we've never known before. Uh, it's going to be one part geography. Like, what do we, where are these places at and, and, and what do we know about them and why does that matter? Um, and then, of course, one part spiritual formation. Right? The goal of Scripture isn't to read it. The goal of Scripture is to be formed into the likeness of Jesus, that it would shape you in certain ways. And maybe as we read about these places and, and the things that Paul said and did, maybe we would be inspired. Those of us in the room, those of you watching online, maybe we would be inspired, like Paul, to take the gospel wherever we go this summer, wherever we're at, that we would be a light for him in that place. That's the goal. So to help us do that, we've actually also got a, a Bible reading plan. Um, if you're already on the Bible app, this will be familiar with you. If you're not on the Bible app, let me just make this your invitation one more time to jump on there. There's a plan called Journey Through Acts, Paul's Missionary Journeys. This is what the graphic kind of looks like. Um, it's only 11 days long, so not a huge commitment. You could fly through that if you wanted. In 11 days, you could knock it out, or you could kind of slow play it 
And you could just read like one day a week as we go through this series and as we unpack this chapter, you could just say, I'm just going to read this, this plan along with the church on Sundays. Um, so however you want to do it, again, if you're in the Bible app, you can just search through this. If you're with our church on there, uh, you can actually, did you know you can become friends with Mountain View Church on there? And then we can actually invite you to this. And what's cool about that is you can read it with friends. You read the verses and there's a little comment box. It's like, it's like all the social media without all the terrible stuff about social media. Um, exactly. Exactly. Bless you, brother. Holy moly. Okay. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, if you're in the Bible app event, like some of you right now, you're in the event looking at all the notes and stuff. Uh, you, you could click. There's in, in the Bible app event there. You can click on um, this reading plan. It'll take you there. Uh, Miranda will drop it in the comments, right, Miranda? Yep, she'll drop it in the comments, and you can click on that as well if you're watching online. So, okay, we ready to hit the road? Give me your credit card, and I'll fill the gas tank. Let me have the, okay. Book of Acts, Book of Acts, New Testament. Journeys, there are three different trips by Paul. This is the start of the first one. He actually travels 10,000 miles on those three journeys. Now, that may not seem like a lot to us, that's like one oil change if you're using synthetic, right? That's not super far. Uh, in Paul's day, for one person to travel 10,000 miles was rare. You pretty much just hung out where you grew up. So for comparison's sake, Jesus' entire ministry takes place in about 150-mile square radius because he walked everywhere, right? Like Jesus didn't get out much. I think he made a pretty decent impact on the world, <laughs> Right? Paul's 10,000 miles, like this is a well-traveled, well-journeyed guy. And the first one starts in Acts chapter 13. If you've got a Bible, open up there, Acts chapter 13. And it starts in the city of Antioch, okay? It starts in the city of Antioch. We've got a map here. We're gonna have lots of maps in this. So if you're not a map person, sorry. If you love maps, you're gonna love this series, okay? So starting on the right there in what was then Syria, now modern-day Turkey, uh, is where our journey starts in Antioch. There's actually two Antiochs. We're going to get to the second one as, as soon as next week. Um, you can see Jerusalem here at the bottom of the screen. I was just trying to give you a little bit of reference of kind of where we're at in the world. But Antioch's always been a really important city. In fact, it was named the cradle of Christianity. And, and, and those of you who maybe know your Bibles, uh, you might remember that Antioch was the place that Christians were first named that. It was the place where Christianity, Christians, that term was used to describe the followers of Jesus. And, and lots of famous, uh, you know, theologians and stuff have come from there. So Ignatius came from Antioch or uh, John Chrysostom, uh, people like this who were influential in the early church. So, so really important city. This is home base, right? Just like Mountain View Church for most of us, like this is kind of your home church. Right? This was Paul's home church. This was also his sending church, as we're going to see soon. Right? Every missionary has, a, has people that send them. There's the goers and there's the senders. Antioch was the sending church. So Acts chapter 13, verse 1. It says, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And here, here's their names. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. 
Now, a couple things I want you to notice about the names here. First off, he's still being called Saul. Same guy. His name's going to change very shortly in just a few verses. We'll talk about why, but at this point, he's still called Saul. The second thing I want you to notice is he's listed fifth. In that list of names of prophets and famous teachers in the early church, he's listed last. It's really interesting. I mean, Paul wrote like half the New Testament, most of the New Testament. It's a pretty big deal. And here he's listed fifth. Now, there's reasons for that. Scholars believe that maybe it was because he wasn't recognized with as much authority in the early church like the other guys on this list. See, in ancient times, not always, but sometimes when they'd create lists, they'd, they'd almost rank people. Like they'd, they'd create the list in an order to kind of say like, no, not that someone's better than somebody else, but like this guy's kind of more important or played a larger role or had more authority or whatever. And Paul's listed fifth. He's super smart, incredibly gifted, clearly. But there were still some reservations and that's because before Saul was a missionary, he was a murderer. Let that sink in for a minute. The whole guy that we're road tripping with. Come on in, Paul. This is why you don't pick up hitchhikers, right? It's like you're going down the road and all of a sudden he's like, let me tell you what I've done in my life. You're like, you can get out at the next stop. Quick background, if you don't know anything about him. Okay, quick background. He was born in 5 AD, which makes him a contemporary of Jesus. He would have been around the same age, a little bit younger than Jesus. He was educated by a rabbi named Gamaliel. So two uh, main schools of thought, Gamaliel and a guy named Shammai. He was, he was educated in the house of Gamaliel, who was this famous Pharisee. That's important to understand. He was educated. Paul, like Gamaliel, was a Pharisee. Now, anytime you read your Bible, especially, you know, especially in Jesus's, in the, in the Gospels, and all of a sudden in comes a Pharisee, you should hear in your mind, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> they were like the number one sparring partner with Jesus. Not because they were bad guys. They were doing just what they thought they needed to do, but they got it wrong, all right? Pharisees were zealous for the Jewish law. That's what they were known for. They were known for keeping the law, adding extra laws to the law so that other people wouldn't break the law. They were obsessed with the temple and the preservation of the customs of Israel and the Jewish people because they thought, man, if anyone breaks these things or if we don't fall in line, Jesus won't love us. Except they didn't know it was Jesus. They just knew there was this Messiah that was gonna come and he was gonna put Israel in charge. And man, if we get out of line, God will keep us in exile. He'll keep punishing us. So they made sure everybody did everything right and they were brutal about it. Paul was one of those. And, and one of the things they did was they punished anyone who believed that Jesus was the Messiah because, again, that's blasphemy. That's going to actually keep the real Messiah from showing up because Jesus wasn't what they wanted. He wasn't what they expected. So in Acts chapter 7, it's Saul who stands by as Stephen, a follower of Jesus, is stoned to death. It's Saul who's standing there watching it, nodding in approval, holding the coats of the people, stoning him. And then in Acts chapter 8, he goes on a crusade of his own to start arresting Christians, wanting them to have the same fate as Stephen. But around AD 31, Paul's entire life 
is flipped upside down when he's walking on a road to a town called Damascus and he hears a sound, he hears a voice that at first he doesn't recognize but soon realizes is the voice of the risen Jesus himself. And Paul is blinded and there's this whole dramatic turn of events where the murderer Saul goes to becoming a missionary. It's an incredible story. If you've never read it, it's in Acts chapter 9. You need to read that for yourself this week. So that's in Acts 9. Four chapters later, here we are in Acts 13, and there's still some skepticism. Like, uh, okay, like, you're super smart. You, wow, you know the law. You definitely know your Old Testament. Like, that would be coming handy when we're trying to convert Jews to Christ. You know, being able to, you know, dot all those I's and cross all those T's for us, that would be awesome. But you like to kill people, and um, most of them are like us. There's a little skepticism in the air, right? So how can we trust you? Paul is fifth on the list because they, they believe that he's gifted and he's got, but he's fifth on the list until the Holy Spirit steps in. It says, while they're worshiping and fasting, then God's Spirit says, I want Barnabas, take Barnabas and Saul and send them. And even there, he's second on the list. It's Barnabas and Saul. Now, by the end of this first journey, he's going to be the clear leader. It's going to flip, and it's going to be Paul and Barnabas, and he becomes the driver of the entire mission in the rest of the book of Acts. But here he's not. He's still second. He went from fifth, and now he's second. And, and something maybe for us to take away from this is that, that God's will, right, God's will always comes with a who, a what, and a when. Who am I going to send? What am I going to have them do? And when, when will it happen? And sometimes those aren't all revealed at the same time. Right? The Damascus conversion, the event where Paul became a follower of Christ, man, I believe that. That happens in AD 31. This first missionary journey doesn't start until AD 46. 15 years since Jesus put his mark on Paul's life and said, I'm going to send you. You're going to be a light to the Gentiles. Paul waits 15 years for this moment. You think that was kind of humbling, maybe? Probably a lot of questions, like, okay, God, when is this gonna kick off? What are we doing here? You said, and here I am, and what's up? Even in our own lives, this happens. Sometimes God calls us into something. We may even know what it is. Like, I feel God wants me to do X. But we can't force the win. If we do... We will find ourselves in a world of trouble. All, all we can do is stay patient and obedient. And like the disciples were here, we're just trusting and we're worshiping and we're praying and we're waiting on God's perfect timing. Um, an example of this in my own life recently, for several months behind the scenes, we've been working on this idea that I was hoping to tell you in a more excited way. Um, but, and I really feel like God is in it, but it's just like, it's just not happening. Uh, we we've been talking for a while about hosting some kind of worship gathering every week up in Detroit Lake and, and uh, where people who are up there, maybe some of you are watching right now, uh, up there boating or camping or whatever, members of Mountain View, they could stay connected to the church and watch together. They could gather together in a spot and do this and um, you know, invite other people who maybe don't have a church that are up at the lake and, and just who knows like what, what might happen with that. And, and for a variety of reasons, it just, it's just not working out. Um, the way that we thought it would. And, and, you know, again, there may be people watching this, but, but I'm not sure. 
And to be honest, I've been so frustrated by it. I've been so mad, like, I, I mean, I've driven up there. I've, I've driven around the town and prayed over it. I've talked to other people and gotten counsel. Like, I feel like God's leading us into this and everybody on the board and everybody, yeah, I think so. It seems like the pieces are working together. And I'm like, this is gonna happen. And, and I'm still convinced I still believe God has something for our church to do up in Detroit, and I'm not exactly sure what it even looks like, but I've been so frustrated that it hasn't happened yet. And then I read this story, and I thought about those 15 years of Paul, and a quote from another pastor came back to my mind. His name is Kevin Queen. He's a pastor over at Cross Point in Tennessee, and I once heard Kevin say this, that it's better to pray a door open than pry a door open. See, when you pry a door open, right, when you make, I'm just going to do this thing, then you're just doing this thing, meaning <laughs> you're on your own. Like, it's your own strength, your own ingenuity, your own creativity. You're going to sink or swim. Like, whether you succeed or you fail, it's on you because you pried the door open and you're just going to do it, right? But if you pray a door open, meaning like you wait on God to do certain things, to, to create opportunity, to open the door. And if God opens that door, he answers that prayer. That means it's on him, right? That means you have his favor, you have his strength, you have his abilities working in your direction. And that means he's uniquely invested in the outcome of that endeavor. Make sense? Which one of those would we rather have? I'd rather have God working for me, right? I mean, this had to be humbling for Paul. Paul trained under Gamaliel like he was a stud. Like everybody would have been like, ooh, Paul. He's thinking, man, one of these days I'm gonna change the world. And for 15 years, all of his rhetorical skills and his learning and his understanding of the Old Testament, all the tools that he has to get the job done for 15 years, he sits on them and just waits. I had to be humbling. And then he finally gets his turn, and he's in fifth place, and then second. But then as the disciples are praying and fasting, waiting on God's direction, then, as they were praying and fasting, then God's Spirit says, set apart Barnabas and Saul for me and send them. Right? Then the time was right. It's better to pray a door open than pry a door open. And then in the meantime, the question I've been asking myself with Detroit, and maybe you want to ask yourself the question if you're, if you're in a similar spot, is, okay, Lord, so what are you trying to teach me right now then? What are you trying to show me? What kind of stuff are you trying to do in my heart and my life so that when you open that door, I'm actually ready for it and I can handle it? What is he trying to do as you wait for the who, the what, and the when to all line up. He's trying to teach you something. He's trying to show you something. What is it? So the time finally comes, about AD 46, we think, and Saul and Barnabas, actually it's Barnabas and Saul at this point, head to what's known as the island of Cyprus. Um, the island of Cyprus. Verse four, if you're following along. It says, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their help. Some scriptures say John Mark, right? Same, same guy. So Cyprus makes sense if you, uh, because Cyprus is a one-day trip from the port of Salamis. 
um, and, um, and, or Seleucia rather. So it's only a one day trip by boat and Barnabas is from there. We know that. Uh, and, and John Mark, this guy they take with them, he was a cousin of Barnabas, uh, the book of Colossians tells us. So uh, these three guys go, and it, it's kind of like, it just makes sense when you're going to try something new to try to maybe, you know, I've heard the leadership principle, you, you fire a bullet before you fire a cannonball, right? Like just, just try it, try to pilot it first. Let's see how this goes before we just go all in. Um, this is kind of this first trial. Let's just go to Cyprus and, and, and see what happens. And their pattern, almost every time they went in, their pattern was to go to the synagogue. That's where they start, um, which is really smart because the synagogue is where all observant Jews would gather every Saturday to open the Bible for them, the Old Testament, and learn, and like discuss it, and talk about it. And a visiting rabbi who had been trained under Gamaliel, Paul, would have been a guest of honor. They would have heard this guy was coming, and they would have said, man, we should invite this Paul guy. We've heard about his teaching. He knows everything. We should invite this guy in to share with us. So Paul would be invited into the Jewish synagogue, the heart of the town, and Paul was a master at opening people's eyes to how the whole Old Testament and the prophets and the law, which they thought of as authoritative, how all of that actually points to Jesus. So that's what Paul would do. Now, we don't hear anything this time of how they responded to it. We'll see that throughout this series. Some people loved him and some people hated it. But from there, they go 100 miles west to the city of Paphos, uh, still in Cyprus, 100 miles west of Paphos. Instead of showing you another map, we've actually got a picture of what's known as uh, St. Paul's Pillar, right? This stone pillar. It's a gorgeous picture. So this is St. Paul's Pillar here. That's St. Paul's uh, Basilica, one of them, not the famous one, but that's what it's called, that church in the background. You can go there and see this today in Cyprus. The, the legend has it, this pole was where they tied Paul to beat him. This is where he was lashed and almost killed, which would... It's a regular occurrence in Paul's life. Um, that gives you some idea of how people received what Paul had to say. Uh, but this is St. This is Paul's pillar in Paphos. So verse 6, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus. You know this is going to be a good story when there's a sorcerer in it, right? Like, oh, this is normal. This is going to be fun, Okay. Here's who he was. He was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. So this Roman uh, official, this politician, this governor, wants to hear from Barnabas and Saul. He's obviously somewhat familiar with Judaism because he has a Jewish magician in his inner court. So he, he knows something about the Jewish religion. But he wants to learn more. And... Word has traveled through Cyprus that there's these two guys going around teaching and, and he invites them in. This is quite an honor to have essentially the governor of that city say, why don't you come in to my, my place and share with me what you know? What an opportunity, right? It reminds me of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, where he says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Maybe we'll underline that or highlight that. You should always be prepared 
to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. This is the moment that lays before Barnabas and Saul here. Sergius, this powerful Roman governor, invites them in. He opens the door and Paul and Barnabas simply have to walk through it prepared, right? Prepared to share. Sometimes God just opens a door, right? Um, I recently had a conversation with a young adult who used to attend our youth group here when I, I was the youth pastor back in the day. It seems like forever now, seven years ago, I guess. Um, and they reached out to me and they just said, Mike, I'm really struggling with my faith. Um, I just, I don't know if I can really believe any of this anymore. I have a lot of doubts and questions and I, I just, I, I trust you with those. Can I, can I buy you a cup of coffee and just ask you my questions? I was like, clear the calendar. Let's go. I'm like, I'm getting, I'm putting eye black on. Like, I'm, I got seven Bibles out. No. <laughs> I love, man, I live, you could ask my wife. I live for that. I love that. There's no way I'm going to let that moment pass and go, you know, I don't know. I'm pretty busy. I got a lot going on. I think, you know, maybe in a couple months I'll circle back. It's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, Tuesday. Let's make it happen. I think of another guy that um, started coming to our church about, I think about a year ago now. And I'll never forget the Sunday I met him. He came down to meet me after service. He was the first time with his family. He used to go to our church and he said, hey, you know, I'm just here to support my wife and my daughter. Um, they're believers. They, they, they're excited to be here. I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm agnostic, and I don't really know what I think about any of this. I'm just here to support them. And then he said, can I come to this church? I was like, bro, <laughs> you got friends? Like, bring them all. We'll give you, I'll, I will rope off a section of chairs for you and your buddies if you'll come, if you'll come back. And, and he kept coming, and um, he started emailing me a little bit, like, I've been thinking about this. And hey, when you said that thing in your sermon, it caught me thinking about this. And I, I read the Bible last night for the first time in a long time. And um, then we did our 21 days of prayer. And he picked up one of the 21-day booklets and was going through that. And I said, are you praying? Are you doing that? And he's like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm like, you're praying to the God you aren't sure exists? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, it's interesting. It's cool, you know? And I just kept kind of like, just, you know, I didn't push I didn't put, but it, but it was obvious, like, okay, God is, God is working on him. I don't have to really do anything. And then, sure enough, on Easter service, I gave the invitation, who wants to come and give your life to Christ? And boom, popped out of his chair, walked down here, I prayed with him, followed up with him, and he just said, I, the light's turned on, and I just, I get it now, and, and I'm in. Right? Pretty cool? Now, here's the thing. Here's the part of the story I want you to understand, though. I, I always felt like God was working in his life. But if I would have pushed, if I would have said, man, I, you know, it's time. Like, you, you need to figure this out. You, you got to make a decision. Your wife's got to figure it out. Your daughter doesn't even know nothing. She's got to figure it out. I mean, it's like, it's now or never, man. Like, what are you going to do? If I would have said this, you know, or if you want to be a member of our church, you got to have, you better sign this. And, you know, if I would have done that, the door that God was trying to open would have become a wall. And we do this a lot. I think we do this more than we think. 
Peter says, be prepared to give an answer when what? When asked. Sometimes we try to give answers to people, to questions they're not even asking. And then we wonder why they're turned off or frustrated or mad at us or think we're crazy. Like, I didn't even ask you that. I don't care about that. And it turns people off. All of us have people in our lives we wish were closer to God, right? Anybody got anybody in their life that's far from God? Like, and, and sometimes they're making a mess of their life too. And that's what's hard is you're like, man, I want to save them for that. Like I've got answers and I've got things. I just, and it's worrisome and it's heartbreaking. But they're not open. They're not open yet. And so can I politely ask you to stop sending them links of our church services? <laughs> Serious? Because they'll message me. I'm like, oh, my grandma, my mom, she keep my wife just keeps sending. It's like, I'm sorry about that. Uh, they just love you. They just love you a lot. Or you send them like an apologetics video on YouTube, like this guy's gonna like rock their world, you know? And they're like, I don't even wanna click on that. Like they just put it in the trash bin, you know? And you just kind of come off as the crazy uncle guy that won't leave them alone, right? And again, please understand, I know, I know why, right? Because heaven and hell are real and I know that you love them and I know that you see their life and you know that you want them to have the joy of the Lord that you have, right? I hope, I hope that's your reasoning. But so like our hearts are right, but our methods can be wrong, right? Your heart can be right and your method can be wrong. And, and what happens is instead of it opening a door, it causes them to put up a wall and then we've got to even try, we've got to like wait even longer for them to be re- reopened. Does that make sense? And sometimes the best thing we, we can do is just live an authentic Jesus-centered life. Someone came up to me after first service and they said, that's me, you know, like, I've been thinking about this, and my husband, you know, he's just not.